Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, starts a brand new series entitled Blind Faith. All right, good morning, Faith Church. Come on, can we make some noise today for the risen Savior? Come on, everybody. Let's love on him today. Hey, listen, just before we get into the message, I just need to ask you, I know, I know it's tight, it's Easter Sunday, we have lots of guests, we have an overflow room here, we have an overflow room in the back, we have hundreds of people in the foyer. I just would ask, if you would do me a favor, I see some open seats, Jesus gave up his life for us, you can give up some elbow room, please, let's every seat, from the end, don't just slide over, I need every seat filled, come on, everybody slide over, everybody slide over, you got an empty seat so we can make some room, that would be Fantastic. Now, if you've got some attitude now, like, I ain't, I ain't coming back here. <laughs> Come on, everybody slide in. If you've got an empty seat, slide in, open them up so we can put some people on the end. That would be fantastic. That would be great. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. Hey, man, listen, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church, and it is absolutely our privilege to have you here. It is the biggest Sunday of the year, and so we're glad you're here. If you're Faith Church family, thank you so much for being here this morning. We are so glad. We know that you have friends. We know that you have family. We know that you have food waiting for you. So thank you, man, for being here this morning. I just want to tell you, this is the reason for the food. It's the reason we're getting together is to celebrate the reality that Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sin, and death couldn't hold him, and he got up out of the grave three days later. That's why we're here. So come on, let's give it up for Jesus. If you are a first-time guest or you're visiting today, we just want to say welcome to you. All those who are watching online, thank you. We know maybe you have friends in town or you're a shut-in and unable to get out. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, listen, we're going to jump right into a series of messages we're starting today. But I just want to tell you a story. This past, about a week ago, my son and I, we were out walking, spending some time in the neighborhood, getting a little bit of cardio in. And while we're out, my son looks over to me and he asks this question. He's like, hey, Dad. And I got to say this. It was kind of a windy day and this gust of wind hits me in the face. And he's like, hey, Dad. Uh, I got a question. Where, where does wind come from? And I'm going to tell you, I reached down in this big, smart brain, and I came up with absolutely nothing. I had nothing. Um, you know, I almost went with, you know, come on, some of you Christian parents, like, thunder is God bowling. I almost, was, I almost went with, like, wind is God yawning. <laughs> but he's too old for that. He's 13. So I just told him, I'm like, son, I'll be honest, I don't really know. It's not the first question he's asked. If you're a parent, a parent here, you know that Kids are in the habit of asking questions. Like, they're curious, and they want to know, why is the sky blue? They want to know what holds, the, what holds an airplane, you know, up in the air. They want to know, how much does the earth weigh? Like, all of these questions, they're curious, and, you know, I've been able to answer many of the questions over the years, but I'll be honest, I was stumped. I just didn't know. I couldn't think of anything, couldn't remember from my seventh grade earth science days. I just couldn't pull anything up. But it's funny, so this past week I was doing some research, getting ready for today. There was actually a study done in 2012 in the UK, and the study was on exactly this, young children asking their parents questions. 
And here's what they found is that two-thirds of parents, about almost 70% of parents, feel ill-equipped to answer a lot of their kids' questions. They don't know why the sky is blue. They don't know what holds a plane in the air. And so, but here's what's funny too is two-thirds felt ill-equipped. One-third of parents actually take their kid and they go investigate together. Wish I'd have thought of that. So like young parents, like that's a good thing is grab your kid, go Google and uh, check out the answer together. But one of the things I thought was really funny is about a fifth of the parents, about 20% will say, go ask your mom, go ask the other parent, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know, go ask your mom. And uh, here's, my, here's the favorite part of this study is 20% of parents admitted they make stuff up. <laughs> Woo, come on somebody. I was like, I wish I'd have known that. I didn't do it because I thought I'd be in the minority. Don't do that. Come on, we're raising a dumb generation by making stuff up. So 20% are making things up. So my son, here's what really pleased me is this past week we're driving home. I picked him up from school. And he looked at me. He said, hey, Dad, remember, this la remember last week when I asked you when, where the wind came from and you didn't know? And I was like, remember when I grounded you for a month? <laughs> he said, I found out. He said, I looked it up. He said, it's when a, when a warm air front and a cold air front comes together. I was like, I knew that all along. I just seen if you would go look it up. But here's the thing. When kids have questions, a lot of times it's for curiosity. I think they're important questions. I think we need to be an intelligent generation. I think we need to be able to answer some basic earth science and biological questions. But at the end of the day, you know, knowing why the sky is blue doesn't change a lot. But there are some questions in our life that are huge, that are significant, that are important questions like questions like this. Is the Bible reliable? I mean, if this is the book that we base our eternity on, like, can we trust it? Is it reliable? Questions like, why does a good God, if he's really good, why does he let bad things happen to people? That's a big question. If God is really good, why does he send people to hell? That's, I think that's a big one. Or questions like this that we're going to talk about today and try to answer, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Like the reason those are big questions is because those are eternity-shaping questions. And like we got we to gotta dig in and we got to try to answer these questions. And I think that's really what we got to ask. Are there answers to these hard questions or do we just accept it all? By blind faith. Like, can we really tackle these and really walk away feeling educated, feeling smarter, feeling like our faith has a foundation? Or is it, again, just blind faith? Now, I just want to tell you, as we try to answer these questions, I want to give you a couple things. First of all, over today in the next several weeks, my goal is not to demean at all, but to defend. I'm going to tell you as a pastor, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, what I believe and why I believe it. I don't feel like I need to trash anybody else to do it, so that's never my goal. That's not my heart. Number two, there are questions that I still have. And there are people who are way smarter than I am that kind of this is what they do. And I'll give you some resources real quick. If you're a person, you want to do some research and you want to do some investigating on your own. There are some great people you can look up. Timothy Keller is one. Ravi Zacharias, great communicator, answers a lot of hard questions. William Lane Craig is a guy I actually podcast. He is one of the premier apologists of our time. Frank Turek is a great guy. Actually, Frank Turek will be with us the first Wednesday in October, so you want to be here for that. So there are some resources that you can check out and maybe get some more questions answered that I won't answer through this series. But is Jesus the only way? Like the reason that's, the reason that's such a tough question is that's an offensive question. Because anytime you say like Jesus, it's one thing to say Jesus is a, a way to heaven. But to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, the reason that's offensive is it's exclusive. And I don't know if you all know this, but as a society, we reject exclusivity out of hand. Civil rights, 
right now as a nation as we wrestle with gay rights, regardless of where you stand on that, as a nation, when any one person or group of people try to exclude any other person or group of people, we reject it. So for Jesus or for us to say that he's the only way, it's offensive because it's the most important question in life. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? And it's offensive because it sounds very exclusive. But here's what I want you to know right on the front end of this message today is all religious beliefs are exclusive, including yours. Everything every person believes on planet earth is exclusive. Like they have their own beliefs and exclude other people or other things or other ways of believing. Let me just give you a couple examples. For example, if, um, if, you, if you're a Buddhist, Buddhists believe they don't even really believe in a heaven. They believe that if you'll do enough things the right way that you can reach nirvana or enlightenment, that you can eventually get to this stage, this place, but it's not really heaven and there is no God. God's not there. Hindus, Hindus believe something totally different. They don't believe that there's no God. But they believe there's millions of gods. And that if you'll be a good person in this life, that you'll get reincarnated into something more grand or something better. And through multiple thousands of reincarnations, you'll ultimately reach God. Muslims. Muslims believe that there's one God. Their God is Allah. And they believe that if you'll do enough good things in the name of Allah, that you, one day you'll make it to paradise. Jehovah Witnesses. Jehovah Witnesses, they believe this, that, that if you'll do enough good things for Jehovah that you'll get to heaven, but here's the bad news is only 144,000 are getting in. All the rest, kind of like faith church. Sorry, we got, you got to stand in the lobby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we love you. I'm sorry, lobby people. You are loved by Jesus. Um, Mormons. Mormons believe. Here's what's crazy. Mormons believe. Did I miss something? What happened? Is my zipper down? <laughs> I missed something. <laughs> When you all laugh and I didn't say anything funny, I just want you to know it makes me very uncomfortable. So, so cut it out. <laughs> um, Mormons, Mormons believe something different. Mormons believe, imagine like a three-act play. Mormons believe that everybody was alive as a spirit. And act two was they were born on earth. And act three is if they'll do enough good things, that one day they can be a god themselves. So here's the thing is, I want you to know each and every one of those major world religions have an exclusive worldview a different view of God, what is God, what is heaven, and how to get there. Christians, I just want you to know if you're here and you're not sure, what we believe is we believe that we are all disconnected from a God who loves us. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. But God loves us enough that he sent his son Jesus to come and rescue us. And you don't have to do something. All you have to do is receive someone, and you can have eternal life and get to heaven through Jesus. That's what we believe. Come on. So as we get into this, here's, here's what I want you to know is I'm not the one who said this. It's, it's, it may sound narrow, but like Christians didn't just make this up. Actually, Jesus is the one who said it. Read it with me. I am the way, not a way. I am, come on, say it, the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So I want you to know every major world religion is exclusive. Every belief system, even if yours is totally unique, is exclusive. It excludes people. Buddhists exclude Hindus. Hindus exclude Christians. Christians exclude Muslims. Atheists and agnostics, they don't believe there is a God. That is exclusive. Now, I know that we live in a world right now that it's very hip, it's very cool, it's very Oprah to say, well, we just believe it all works out in the end, that all paths lead to God. That sounds good, but let me just kind of play that out in a way that would make sense to us, okay? To say that just all paths lead to heaven that would be like us going out to, on the intersection of 72 and 65 and saying, um, how do you get to Nashville? 
And if one person said, hey, hey, I know the way to Nashville. What you want to do is you want to get on 72 East and just keep going about two hours and you'll get to Nashville. And another person would get up and say, no, hey, I, I don't mean to be argumentative, but if you'll take 72 West, you will eventually get to Nashville. And someone else would get up and say, hey, hey, now let's do this in love. But I just believe if you get on 65 South, you'll get to Nashville. And someone else has said, y'all are all wrong. You're all crazy. It's, if you'll get on 65 North, two hours, you'll be to Nashville. And then someone gets up and says, hey, I just believe you can take any road and you'll eventually get to Nashville. <laughs> now, th that just doesn't even make any sense. And again, so every, every religious view is exclusive. Here's the really great news today I want you to hear is that while every religion is exclusive, Jesus said whosoever, which makes it the most inclusive. While he's the only way, he said anybody, doesn't matter your background, your struggles, doesn't matter where you're from, where you're headed, how much money you have, what color you are, your sexual preference, your attitude, how you were raised, doesn't matter where you were born, whosoever can come through Jesus. That is great news. So, so while it's, while it's exclusive, here's, here's the question I think we need to talk about. Because all religious viewpoints are exclusive. So I think here's the question that we need to tackle today. Is what makes Jesus the only way? If he is the only way, what would make him the only way? And I think there's two things that we're going to look at today for a few minutes. And it's what he said and what he did. What Jesus claimed, what he said while he was here, and what he did kind of sets him apart. Here's a couple claims that Jesus made in case you don't know. Because he said some pretty possibly outrageous things. He claimed that... He would judge the world at the end of time. He claimed that he had the power to give eternal life. He stated that to see him was the same thing as seeing God. He stated that to know him was to know God. He claimed that he had the ability to forgive sin. He claimed titles exclusive to God. He said actually in John 8, 58, I, he said this, he said, I am, which is how God revealed himself to the nation of Israel. I am. I'm the eternal one. That's who Jesus said he was. Number seven, he claimed that he and God the Father were one. So here, now here's what you got to get to. So Jesus made some big old claims that we can't ignore. Now I get it. Maybe Jesus was just a big trash talker because guys are trash talkers. Come on, help me, man. Like if you're a man, you talk some trash, right? You can sit down and watch a game. And if you don't like how your team's playing, I'm, I'm a I'm a Cavs fan, and if you're a praying person, I would just invite you to pray with me that the Cavs would bring another one to Believe Land. Woo! Boo Celtics. Don't make me have, don't make me have an usher remove you. But, we're, you know, I'm, I'm, going, I'm watching the game. I wasn't at home, but I'm watching it, you know, on my phone. And here's my thing. I'm like, man, they just need to get J.R. Smith off the court. I could shoot better than him. Now, that sounds like a great claim, but if you put me out there, like I'm probably not even getting a shot off, much less hitting the rim, and it ain't never going in. I talk trash to my son. Come on, everybody. If you got a kid, one of the worst things that will happen in life, if you are a man and you have a son, is when your son starts beating you and stuff. Come on, guys. Listen, I used to humiliate him on games. We play NFL, like, and I would run the score up. If I'm beating him like, you know, 50 to 7, I'm going to keep scoring until I get to 100. I will humiliate my son. I will make him cry in his bedroom. The first time he beat me, that's it. I don't play him no more. <laughs> I'm done. We go out and we play basketball. And here's the thing is, I'll trash talk him. Listen, you can't beat me. I'm going to beat you. And we get on the court and he shoots me lights out. So I'm just telling you, I make big claims, but I can't back them up at 45 like I used to back them up at 25. 
Jesus made some big claims. But unfortunately, we live in a world right now where people who have this debate or have questions or really don't have answers, they'll come to the conclusion where they ignore the claims that Jesus made that he was God. But they'll say things like this, that, hey, he was a great teacher. Or maybe he was a, pro a prophet. Muslims believe that Jesus was a great prophet. Hindus believe that Jesus was a prophet. So there are lots of world religions. There are lots of points of view that are exclusive that say Jesus was a good teacher. He was a great philosopher. He was... Mahatma Gandhi said, listen, if Jesus isn't even a real person, like what he taught was really great. But here's what you have to understand today as we tackle this and as we look at this is that what you have to do is you got to take everything Jesus said or nothing at all. We can't weave through and say, I like that, but I'm not going to listen to that. Josh McDowell said it this way, that Jesus is either the Lord or he's a lunatic or he's a liar. Either what he said is true, that he's God, or he's crazy. He thinks he's God, but he's not, or he knows he's not God, but he's telling people he is, which makes him a liar. Either he's sovereign, or he's a storyteller. Either he's deity, or he's demented, or he's a deceiver. You either got to take everything Jesus said, or none of it at all. And what you do as you go through his life is you see, wow, he made big claims. Listen to this. It's not just what he said, it's what he did. Because what he confessed, back, or what he, what he ultimately did, backed up what he confessed. Because let me tell you some things that Jesus ultimately did. But C.S. Lewis, he said it this way in this debate. He said, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let not us come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What C.S. Lewis was saying was, either you have to believe his claims that he was God, or you have to reject everything he said. Because I'm just telling you, you can't call someone a good teacher if they're crazy. You can't call someone a great prophet if they know what they're teaching isn't true. But Jesus, he ultimately made these big claims. Again, it's not just what he said, it's what he did. His claims were backed up by how he lived his life and the things that he did. Let me just rattle a couple of them off because they're kind of big and kind of important, right? For God to, for him, for Jesus to claim to be God, like you can make some big claims, but can you back them up? I don't know about you, but um, I've been told as of late in the last couple of years that I look like somebody. Anybody here been told you look like someone famous? Raise, raise your hand if you've been told you look like somebody famous. I've been told that I look like Brock Lesnar, which besides the physique, I'm not so sure. Brock Lesnar, if you don't know who he is, he was an MMA fighter, and uh, now I think, he's a, I think he's a professional wrestler. And people are telling me, you look like Brock Lesnar. And I'm, I'm like, I don't look anything like Brock Lesnar. My son picked up a video game in the store when I wasn't there, had Brock Lesnar on the cover, looked at my wife and said, this guy looks just like dad. <laughs> True story, I was in Honduras a couple weeks ago. I'm sitting in the middle of a third world country. I don't speak a lick of Spanish. They don't speak English, and this little seven- or eight-year-old Honduran kid walks up to me while I'm sitting down on a water break, looks at me, and says these words, Brock Lesnar, WWE. <laughs> so I gave him my autograph. <laughs> now, listen, listen to what I'm telling you. I can claim to be Brock Lesnar, but if you hang out with me long enough, you'll see that I can't back those claims up. Jesus can make all kind of claims to be Lord, to be God. But I want you to know something. He didn't just make the claims. He backed them up. 
Because the claim to be God is saying that he's the highest authority. And let me tell you something about the Jesus we're here to worship and celebrate. He backed up what he claimed. He stood on the bow of a boat when a storm came and commanded the storm to be still. He demonstrated that he has authority over nature. When tens of thousands of people came to him sick, the Bible says he healed every single disease, demonstrating that he had authority over sickness. He stood at a place where a man, a friend of his, was buried named Lazarus, and he stood there, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And a man who was dead got up out of the grave and walked out. Jesus demonstrated that he has authority over death. People who were demon-possessed came to Jesus and had no solutions and had no answers, and Jesus cast demons out. What Jesus did in his life was he demonstrated everything that has authority over us, he has authority over it, which is really great news because it means if you're hurting today, if you're broken today, if you're struggling with an addiction today, if you're in a tough place in life today, if you're not sure how to get through today, I want you to know the God you serve, if you will put your hope and trust in Jesus, he has the authority to set you free, to give you hope, to give you peace, and to give you life. That's the Jesus we're here to worship. But it wasn't just these things that he did. It wasn't just casting out demons. It wasn't just healing the sick. Because really why we're here today, why there are over three and a half billion followers in church this morning, it's not just what Jesus said that's drawing people. And it's not the miracles that he worked. It's not the storms that he seized. It's not the devils he cast out. It's not the people he raised. The reason so many people are gathered is because there is one event that's pivotal in the history of humanity that we're here to celebrate today. And it's this one thing that validated everything Jesus said. You claim to be God, show me. Put up or shut up. You claim to be able to forgive sin, quit talking about it and show me. At the end of his life, he was arrested, he was, arrested, he was crucified, he was taken down and he was carried by men into a tomb. And on the third day, he was carried in but he walked out. His resurrection was the thing that backed up everything he said. The resurrection of Jesus is the verification of every declaration that Jesus made. When he came back, I'm just telling you something. Listen, y'all don't seem excited today. Let me just say this. There's been no man before or no man since that ever predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. If you can tell me when you're going to die and tell me you're coming back to life and pull it off, then I believe everything you say. Come on, somebody. And so Jesus, the statement of coming out of the grave was his statement that in him is life, in him is power, in him is joy. And this thing that we do, somehow it's captured that we're just another religion, another voice in the crowd, more static on the religious radio dial. And the reality is Jesus never even came really to establish a religion. Again, it's, it's not these things that you do, it's who you receive, See, the message of the New Testament church, what, what got momentum, it wasn't even what Jesus taught, though he was an incredible teacher. That's not what made today three and a half billion followers. It wasn't his message. It wasn't his miracles. The message of the New Testament church was there was a man we knew, we followed him, we watched him, we hung out with him, we saw him die, and we saw him alive three days later. It was the message of the resurrection. Let me give you a couple scriptures here. Watch this. See, when the New Testament church was born, it wasn't a bunch of people going around giving new rules, giving a new standard of morality, 
giving another list of things that you had to accomplish to get to heaven. The message of the New Testament church that's still being preached today all over the world is that Jesus was dead and he's alive. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up 40 days or 50 days after Jesus died and rose from the dead. 50 days, not 50 years, not 500 years. Not a story that eventually became myth or legend. But 50 days after they seen a man put in a tomb and come back alive, Peter stood in front of a crowd, tens of thousands of people, and this was part of his message. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses. The hope is that Jesus is alive. A couple days later, Peter's standing. Him and John, they're walking into the temple. There was a young man there who was sick, who couldn't walk. Peter, with the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, healed this man, and he walked. People gathered. They'd never seen like this miracle, and they're, they're, they're so astounded. They gather together. Peter takes the opportunity to preach. He doesn't preach the Ten Commandments. He doesn't preach morality. What he preaches is the one central message that changed and transformed humanity, the one thing that makes Jesus the only way. He said this to all these people that gathered, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're, the wit- we're his witnesses to this fact. They get arrested for doing miracles. Peter and John, they're standing in front of the religious court. Do you know what their message is? Not be a good person. Not go to church. Not give money. Not teach Sunday school. If you follow Jesus, your life will change. If you put your hope in the one who can give you hope, you will have hope. God will change your heart, change your mind, and change your life. But what it starts with is not morality, doing good deeds, or doing enough to get accepted by God. The central message of Christianity, of the hope of the world, is this right here. Because again, Peter said it, Acts chapter 4, verse 10. He says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The man you crucified, whom, whom God raised from the dead. There is salvation in no other else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. See, it's this powerful thing. Like, See, every other major world religion is a man coming telling us how to find God. Christianity is God coming and telling us, I came to find you. That's a whole different thing. That's why we're here to celebrate. It's the reality of the message of Jesus coming, living a radical life, making incredible claims, but validating every claim he made by the truth of his resurrection. You say, Pastor, you've not really told me why it's true yet. The number one evidence in any court trial, even today, is eyewitness testimony. Give me some eyewitnesses. Again, the truth of the resurrection isn't something that was legend. It's not something that happened hundreds of years later. It's it's something that came up within weeks of Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you know why? Because after Jesus rose and came back, like they kept saying, people kept saying, I seen him alive. I seen him alive. The apostle Paul wrote this to a church called Corinth. Notice what he says here. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. This is the most important thing you'll hear today. Is this right here? Is that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. No matter what your struggle is today, I'm telling you, listen to me. Everyone in this room struggles. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church, if you've never been in church, everyone in this room struggles. Everyone falls short. Everyone misses the mark. Everyone messes up. Everyone in this room's a sinner. Can I just hear an amen for all the broken, messed up, imperfect people in the room? But let me tell you something. 
The great news is, is that you don't have to live with your imperfections, mistakes, struggles, and sin. Jesus came and he died for our sins, just as the scripture said. But that wasn't the end because lots of people have died. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Now, now stop. Imagine this. This letter, this epistle is being read in front of thousands of people, literally, literally within weeks and months. People that maybe weren't sure, but they knew now. And he starts calling out eyewitnesses. He starts saying, listen, if you don't believe Jesus is alive, then you can go talk to Mrs. Jones. She's right down the street. She's still alive. She's seen him. You don't believe Jesus is alive? The entire Jones family, they they seen him. He's alive. You can go talk to the Johnson family because they hung out and had dinner with him. That's what he's saying. Listen, he says he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter. Come on, y'all got to read this. Then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You know what he's saying? If you don't think it's true, you can go talk to people who are still alive today who've seen Jesus three days after he was killed, three days after he was murdered and came back from the dead. He says, then he was seen by James, later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He's saying there's lots of eyewitnesses you can talk to. See, here's the challenge today is to make this statement, to make this declaration of who Jesus was is one thing. But again... What he did confirmed what he confessed. Not again just his miracles, but the power of his resurrection was this exclamation point in history that Jesus is exactly who he said. He is the Savior of the world. And what made a way, what made the only way, is he's the only one who paid the price. He's the only one who died for our sin. He's the only one who made it possible for us to find life, hope, and forgiveness. That's why we're here. And that's why we celebrate. It's this reality that we can find hope in a hopeless world. That in all the voices, in all the religious points of view, in all the exclusivity, there's one who Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, the reality is that's not bad news that there's only one way. Here's what you have to understand is, Jesus is the only one who says, I've come to rescue. Jesus is the only one who showed up to forgive us. He's the only one who came to make a way. And so for us, This last powerful scripture I want us to hear together. I want every voice to shout this with me as we get ready to close. This is what the Bible says. One more verse. Read it with me. This is real love. This is where we started today. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Think about the power of that statement. This is real love. Real love isn't my love for you. It's not even my love for my wife. It's not my kid's love for me. It's not your love for your family and friends who are in town or going to visit. The true definition of love is the incredible sacrifice that God the Father made when he sent his son. That's what real love is. And the purpose of that gift, the purpose of that sacrifice is so we can find hope and forgiveness. See, for us to ask the question, is Jesus really the only way? I think we're asking the totally wrong question. I think the question we got to ask when we look at the real picture, because here's the real picture, is that God made a perfect paradise. He made a perfect creation. He said in the middle of a perfect creation, a perfect man, he made for him a perfect wife, and they had a perfect connection with God the Father. 
And in the middle of a cosmic rebellion, man lifted his fist to God and said, God, I don't want your way. I don't want your rules. I don't want your boundaries. I'm going to do life my own way. What would you do? Because God could have gave up. He could have wiped out humanity and started over. He could have said, I'm done with creation. But you know what he did? He put in a rescue plan. He raised up a nation. Out of that nation, he raised up ultimately his son, Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, taught incredible things, did big time miracles. But his whole purpose in coming was this. I didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And at the end of his life, at the young age of 33 years, Jesus was arrested, falsely accused, an innocent man, but no one took his life. He laid it down. He wasn't put on the cross. He got on the cross. And while he was there, he carried my sin and yours. He took our death and gave us his life. And they put him in the tomb and he rose on the third day. And he's the one who says, I'm the only way. So the question isn't, why is there only one way? The question is, why is there any way at all? God could have gave up on you, but he didn't. He's seeking you today. He's looking for you today. And he's giving us the greatest gift that only he's qualified to give because he's the only one who made the claims and he's the only one who backed them up. He's the only one who paid the price. He's the only one who died and rose from the dead. Why we're here today is to celebrate the gift he gave us and how he got it for us.